Hello and welcome to the Football Outsiders podcast and live stream for Monday, January 30th, 2023. I am Aaron Schatz, Editor-in-Chief of Football Outsiders, and I am joined today by our staff writers, Brian Knowles and Cale Clinton, and we are here to wrap up the conference championships and get you ready for Super Bowl 57. No Mike Tanier today. Mike is on his way to Mobile, where he will be reporting from the Senior Bowl for us all week and getting a bunch of interviews and doing research and getting us all ready for draft coverage. So uh, instead, I've got Brian and uh, Kale here. And let's start with the more exciting of the two conference championship games, and that is by talking about the AFC championship, where the Chiefs needed that last-minute field goal to win the game, although our stats have them pretty much outplaying the Bengals. They actually had a post-game win expectancy of 90%. A higher DVOA, ran more plays, had fewer penalties, and I think you felt that in the first half, like, when we went to halftime, didn't it feel like the Chiefs had outplayed the Bengals and should have been winning that game by more than what, whatever, seven points? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it felt like the Chiefs were the better team significantly throughout the first half, but also felt like they weren't cashing in on those uh, on that advantage as much as. They oh could yeah, have. it felt like oh here we go again. The Bengals are going to come back again. Here we go. Yes, this is we've, I've seen this movie before. And it'll be another whole year of Patrick Mahomes can't beat Joe Burrow despite them being on the field for zero snaps together. And you know, it, it, it all, I was I was all ready for that. Yeah, that's uh, the first thing I'm thankful for from this game. So I'm thankful we will absolutely. not have to hear any more about how Joe Burrow owns Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. All that yeah. Burrow had nonsense coming in. <laughs> yeah, a lot fewer of those. Uh, uh, like this this Cincinnati Bengals team is uniquely staffed to really compete and like keep up with this really high flying Chiefs offense. But outside of just those couple big jump ball plays, you know, Jamar Chase going up to get it, T. Higgins going up to get it, like you really don't have that same level of success. I don't think they had a play deeper than 15 yards uh, with any sort of yak on it. Like there's no real explosive plays that they're sort of developing outside, outside of those jump and catch balls. And that was the thing that, like, on scoreboard, kept it really close. But just in terms of the way these two offenses were moving, even with the losses the Chiefs suffered, this was, like, a really, like, Chiefs were really outplaying the Bengals through most of this game. Felt like it. Yeah, by the end, they were down to having to use Marcus Kemp as their third receiver. Like, it was really bad what the Chiefs were down to by the end, and yet they still pulled it out. Although I will say, it's funny, Nick Wright, who's a big Chiefs fan, tweeted about how Mahomes has had, you know, however many playoff wins where he's got the ball with a minute left and drove them to a field goal. Okay, sure, yeah, but really what drove them to a field goal was Sky Moore's punt return and Joseph Osai's penalty. It wasn't really that Mahomes – Mahomes didn't make, like, three big plays downfield or anything. Like, he made a small scramble and a small pass, and then – you know, he yeah. just started out in really good field position. If you're going to rank all of the homes playoff come from behind win victories, something like that, because I'm sure some Chiefs site will make a slideshow of this one probably goes last because Mahomes didn't do very much. Mahomes knew, knew, knew to fall down when he got hit. Uh, right, he didn't do very much on the last drive. I mean, he did plenty but, during the game, yeah. but on the last drive, it was not Mahomes won the game. Exactly. It is still really impressive what he was able to do just on that you know, high ankle sprain, an injury that usually takes like four to six weeks of recovery. 
And I think there was a point where Cincinnati, I think the Cincinnati Bengals had a pressure rate somewhere in the low 40% percent yeah. of dropbacks with pressures. The fact that Mahomes was able to stand in the pocket so consistently, throw 43 times, but a 300-yard, two-touchdown game, like a really good – I mean, I know it doesn't – it's not the biggest, like, super Euro performance by Mahomes, but just in terms of really gutsy performances and, like, grinding a game out, this one's this one I feel like is kind of up there for Mahomes. Especially yeah, I saw another somewhere somewhere this morning that he was actually better under pressure than he was without pressure in this game. And you could see as the game went along, it was bothering him more and more and more. The fact that, you know, he was able to still come out there and still make plays on in the fourth quarter. You know, he scrambled on a, on, on a high sprain ankle uh, on the play that he got it in the field goal range. I mean, you know, the, my, my wife had a high ankle sprain about a month ago. She was on crutches for, for a month and a half. Like, this is not something a human being is supposed to be able to do. It, it was incredibly impressive. I mean, because we were all wondering, like, is he not that he's going to play, but, like, is he going to be able to move at all? Like, what, what is the state of this thing? And for large stretches of it, he looked like Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, I mean, he stayed in the pocket more than usual, more than yeah. usual. But then at the end, when they needed him to scramble, he scrambled. So, you know, he, he got it done. I, it was a really valiant performance. Yeah, absolutely. Only going down three times, too. I thought that would be uh, between Mahomes versus this Bengals D-line, a line that has a high pass rush win rate doesn't have a high sack total I thought this ankle injury would sort of be the equalizer they'd be able to get home more easily walking away pretty clean like relatively three sacks on a high ankle sprain I'll take that any day and the fact you were able to still get some meaningful scrambles off I mean yeah we've kind of said it before but a really impressive performance by Mahomes he's very good it's very very useful to have Patrick Mahomes on the team yeah and they overcame the injuries. We talked about the receivers going down, but also they lost Legereus Sneed basically for the entire game. They had to play Joshua Williams, who the Bengals had picked on a lot in week 13, and he ended up making a, the tip that led to a pick. Uh, or did he make the pick after someone else made the tip? I can't remember which. And uh, Nick Bolton got hurt at one point. And Willie Gay got hurt at one point. And, I mean, the fact that their defense stayed in this is a uh, uh, testament to good planning by Steve Spagnolo and uh, also Chris Jones being an alien. Uh, he was dominant. It's going to be really interesting to see him go up against the Eagles offensive line in yeah. two weeks. In, in in that first half, you know, I was beginning to look up like what, what are the historic sack re- re- records over here? Cause they were just, they would, they got had four sacks in like a quarter and a half. It looked like this was going to be an absolute, you know, just destruction of a game. Since that, he did come up with a couple of things late, you know, the, a couple more quick, quick plays that can get around them. But I was just surprised after how good the off the backup offensive line looked against Buffalo. And I know all the, the circumstances involving that they looked really bad for about, you know, 20 minutes and looked like, yeah, I think snow helped them. Snow, the Benga bills, bills line. Absolutely. Yeah. But you know, like they, they still had the play. They still they still looked like professional football players against Buffalo. Not so much early on against Kansas City. Thanks uh, to the Bengals for for making some adjustments and just not getting blown out of this one early. But oof, this kind of game, like I'm I'm not trying to, you know, put too many dots together. This game doesn't happen. The Chiefs don't win this game without making the Tyree kill trade. You think this was supposed to be like a load back thing? 
Chiefs came into the offseason six mil over the cap. The Tyree kill trade saves them 18. The other trade target for this game or coming into the season was Chris Jones. Losing him, he has a massive game here. The picks you use allow you to get Trent McDuffie, who comes up with two pretty big passes defense here. That second round pick you get from the trade also gets you Sky Moore. Like, there's a lot of pieces that come together to add to the depth of this Chiefs team. And whether it's like the really impressive performance by Chris Jones blowing up the interior of this uh, Bengals defensive line, double digit pressures, depending on where you look, the really meaningful pair of sacks. You know, you look at the Sky Moore return earlier, you look at like Chiefs being able to afford luxuries like Jared McKinnon or Kadarius Tony. Like, this retooling was supposed to be a long-term project, but has really had some meaningful, meaningful short-term impact plays. I don't know, like, it's it's rude to speculate, like, what or like hard to speculate whether or not they'd be able to do whatever with Tyree Killer without him. But the guys they got in return, or the guys they were able to keep in return, massive, massive impact plays, game-deciding plays in this performance. Don't forget, people who are watching us live, please uh, feel free to make your comments and questions, whether it's on YouTube or Twitch. We'd love to hear from you during the show. What did you guys think about the Chiefs' decision to punt on fourth and eight from the Cincinnati 37 with 236 left? It was a really interesting decision because it felt like they were giving away the game. But all of the numbers, the models, don't account for the fact that the Chiefs were down to, like, no receivers. Yeah. I I, I, I went ahead and ran the numbers through our model. Like, it, just, just in a generic, it's Chiefs versus Bengals game. It liked going for it 55.8%. Uh, Punting 44.3%. So it's a minus 11 decision by our numbers. It's a horrible yeah. decision. And she realized they have no skill position players. It's really cold, and your kicker's already been missing things in warm-ups. Yeah, I would not have tried the field goal from that distance at that temperature. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it was kind of no man's land. And I still think I would have gone for it, all things considered, yeah, just because, you know, too. having possession is so important. But I, I understand the decision. Like, I, 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 see, I see what they were doing here, and... Uh, <laughs> You don't want to give Joe Burrow the ball with, with the game on the line. You, you just don't. But I, I understand that it was there was no decision that was that was good here. Like, if it was fourth and three, you're talking different. Thing, but it was fourth and eight. It was, you know, there you were on the wrong side of the two minute warning. Just it really felt like when they were punting that ball off, though, that it was like, oh, they're never getting this back. Yeah, it felt like the game was over. Or it was over. That's, a, that's yeah. the thing. I thought, I thought overtime was the likely possibility. But it was just like they weren't you didn't think they were gonna get it back in regulation and just a really big step up by this Chiefs defense. A thing that in past playoff runs by the Chiefs, we really haven't seen from them too much. It, it was a really big, like, all right, this is on you guys now. And it ends up working out. I'm not yeah. like it's not justified, but I was just still really impressed with the fact that, like, you know, a couple plays go wrong and we're back to talking about Andy Reid and late game decision-making and like back to his days at the Eagles, but defense steps up and saves him from a hard conversation. Yeah. We, we Andy Reid did not have his, the world's best game with time management and timeouts and challenge decisions. Uh, that, that was some, that was some vintage Andy Reid, I believe. Is, yeah. Is, 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 is yeah there were some interesting challenge decisions. Although, I mean, I didn't think when they challenged the sky more first down, I didn't think that was going to win. And it did. So the fact that that meant he had no more challenges left, though they scored a touchdown on that drive. So yes. that worked out. 
But also, the, 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 they didn't have a chance left because of that first challenge. If your own receiver doesn't think he catches the ball, because receivers think they catch the ball roughly two thousand percent of the time. So even yeah. if, if they don't, even if you know receivers is they know I didn't catch that, maybe keep that flag in your pocket. Yeah, that yeah, definitely. I the uh, as a like the Devonte Smith one in the <laughs> Eagles game, right? Like Devonte right. Smith popped up like he caught. Yeah, exactly. I've I've rarely seen a more guilty look of just like go 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 like we've <laughs> got to hurry this up so no one reviews it. It was a uh, that was uh, a I, I don't get why Shannon didn't challenge that one earlier in the game, but it was like I guess you didn't have the replay. That's a tough one, but I don't I don't know. I I always get thrown off by like how we do challenges now, where it's like if you get fifty percent of your challenges right, you have no more challenges left. If you get a hundred percent of your challenges right. You get one more. I don't think it should. I mean, be the play. goal of that was always to prevent coaches from just challenging. Apparently, challenging. Yeah. Yeah. Someone should take that decision out of the coach's hands. Just have you know. A system well, that's how college does it. Yeah. In college, they just call from league headquarters and say, "Okay, challenge. You know, go yeah. watch the video now." You know. Um. So there's another three point win. This means all four, all four of the Cincinnati Kansas City games over the last two years were three point games. So these teams are pretty evenly matched. Yeah. Yeah. Right? For all that Cincinnati owns Kansas City stuff going into this game, these teams were pretty evenly matched, and they were pretty evenly matched in this game too. I've never seen a team turn heel more quickly and own it more than the Bengals did in the week's lead-up. Okay, so you agree with me? Because my feeling about this game was that I was rooting for the Chiefs in part because I think Joe Burrow is a dick. I, I'm, listen, I'm fine with, like, I think you need heroes and villains and, like, the dramatics of sports. The second the mayor got involved, I'm like, all right, this is drop the shark. Like, this should be yeah. a Chiefs win at this point. All, all the nonsense. But, but all the nonsense, all the Burrowhead. The the Bengals' entire uh, postseason have been trying to manufacture chips for their own shoulder. You know, like, they have, they took a little, a little tiny grain of, like, you know, oh, the NFL didn't exactly bend over backwards for us. We were forgotten this. And they built this into this humongous, everyone is against us narrative. It's like... Like, a, like an oyster turning a grain of sand into a pearl. They gradually grew and grew the chip on their shoulder until it was a beautiful, shining pearl of chip on the shoulder <laughs> you guys are really good you don't need to generate all this false like if you can't get motivated for the afc championship game just on the hey we would like to go to the super bowl again please i mean i don't know what that, that should be your motivation i think yeah or uh, for the next game i'd like to win the super bowl yes i think good motivation to win this. That, just, that might be fun i don't know we've just, never done it before let's give that a try <laughs> you're just actively painting a target on yourself and saying what are you gonna do hit me like oh. it was the full week of this stuff was nuts it the it felt very it was you know i it'll probably get a whole section in the year in quotes thing considering kelsey's uh like kelsey's little quote chris jones's post-game interview it was really uh like almost cathartic to watch it from the third person like it felt very narratively satisfying to just like have that close out and now it can just be a rivalry like now it could just be a really good rivalry instead of like yeah. again, we're a few plays from saying like it's tough to put Mahomes over Burrow. Burrow's won four times. Like you get into anecdotal conversations, it's not as fun. Yeah. But yeah, that was a mess of a week of like media hype lead up. 
it's nice to have a rivalry like that because it feels like there's actually some actual bad blood there. I'm sure we'll get them again soon enough. So it's not, it's nice to we'll have them next year. I mean, yeah, we're guaranteed. Yeah. We're guaranteed a regular season primetime Chiefs uh-huh. Bengals round right? five. Because of yeah. first because of first place, right? Kansas oh, City, Cincinnati, that, yeah. uh, Jacksonville, and Buffalo all play each other. So I mean, that, that that would be an interesting season opener. I mean, I could absolutely see them th- pulling that off. Like, you oh, know, let's see if Kansas City wins the Super Bowl, start the season with Cincinnati. I, absolutely. I don't know if the game's in Kansas City or not, but yeah, that would yeah. be a good one. Yeah. Uh, CCX3 says, I don't mind Burrow, but the whole Joe Cool narrative is very overblown, given that there are plenty of cooler quarterbacks who dress better. I will admit to not being an expert on who are the best dressed quarterbacks. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure this panel right here is the, is the most qualified one to be judging, uh, you no, know, the, the coolness. <laughs> um, all right, let's talk about the NFC Championship. I, I made this one second on our on our agenda just because there's there's not that much to say about it. it the 49ers just ran out of quarterbacks. And there's only so much you can there's only so much you can do. I know there's been a lot of talk in the like the media this morning of oh you know the Niners should have hired a better backup than Josh Johnson or they should have had a wildcat package in to be ready to go. Like you you lost QB four. You were not supposed to have a backup plan for losing QB four. There's, there's there is no page in the emergency manual for when you're down to like. Uh, I mean know. the one the one thing I think that I came away is we used to have a rule where you had a guy who was the third quarterback. And he was, you always had a third quarterback, but if he came in the game, you couldn't use your number one quarterback again. And then they changed it to make it that you had 46 active players instead of 45 and a third quarterback. And people never used that 46th spot on a third quarterback. They used the 46th spot on other stuff. So maybe we need to, especially if we are going to be pulling quarterbacks for head injuries, more commonly, which we are and we should. Maybe we need to go to 46 and a third quarterback. So every team has a third quarterback on game day that in case they get into this situation, they have a third quarterback who can come into the game. In this particular instance, that wouldn't matter because the Niners did not have a third quarterback. Even no, but they, they, if, the, if this yes. rule existed, the yeah. Niners would have signed somebody and they would have had a third. I think rather than mess around with emergency quarterbacks and rules of when you can come in and when you're not, you could just make everyone active. You could just make the entire 53 man roster active. The, you know, if you you want to you want to worry about people's health, you want to take people out till they get hit. Just have as many you know many healthy players as you can, as you can dress be active. I think it's well. Fine. The reason why they don't do that, I think, is to try to make yeah. it fair. If one team yeah. has a lot of injuries and the other team has everyone healthy, they don't want one team to have 53 available players and the other team has 45 available players. Absolutely, but I think at the at the same time, it's more important to make sure you have replacements for in-game injuries than like, oh no, uh, you know, I have one extra player in my defensive line rotation. I mean, at a certain point, I think it, it's fine to have all those players active and healthy. Because if you well, give, I think, I, I think you just need to designate it because, like, well, first off, I don't think they do the fifty-three man thing now, especially also because it's like there's other incentives like fantasy stuff for gambling, where if like you know the hard inactive label like fixes lineups for people and it like allows for a larger conversation around it. But I think you just need the designated spot. Cause like Aaron said, when you make it 46, they don't necessarily do it. The NHL has like emergency. If you made it 53 active players, most teams still would not have three quarterbacks. Yes. You've got to do yeah. it. It has to be an emergency break glass in case of emergency roster spot. 
yeah, the NHL as uh, like an emergency goalie situation where it's like not necessarily a rostered guy, but it's someone who's like, it, it's, it's usually it's like equipment managers or like random people, but they've played goalie before. It's a completely different position than quarterback, but uh, in terms of like skill set, obviously, but like it's still just a designated role that someone has and it can only be used for this. That, yeah, that, that, that's provided by the stadium, not the teams. And that would have been hilarious if if local Philadelphia prospects had to come down and try to run the Shanahan system in the second half. I mean, I think that would have been a hilarious story. I don't think that would yeah, have I do think that's a little easier playing goalie than playing quarterback. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, sit here, try to stop all those black things from flying at you here, and maybe we'll, we'll get something out of this as opposed to – It's, the, right, it's the thought of it, you know. Like, I, 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 I think it makes sense for every team to have a practice squad quarterback who dresses on game day and only plays if the top two guys go down. At the same time, I, I you would only use that, that guy would only get used four or five times during the year by, you know, if you add all 32 teams together, it would only be used four or five times during the year. I'm not even sure it'd be that high. Specifically in those situations, I think it's good to have. With that being said, there was a small, small kernel where I was like, Oh, Kyle Shanahan's really going to do the no quarterback necessary offense in terms of like, I thought Josh Johnson while he was in. Like, when McCaffrey scored a touchdown, you thought, oh my God, the 49ers actually going to do this? Well, with, with, no, just at least keep it close where like Josh Johnson, like he threw above 50%. There's obviously a different like ability to read. There's a reason why he's been, like been such a retread on so many different teams, but he's like sitting above 50% completion rating. His EPA per play was only like, you know, Minus 0.14, according to Ben Baldwin. Like, there's worse situations at quarterback. Like, yeah, it was just sense. a little interesting to me. It was but like, once he went out, once he went out. Yeah, exactly. There's only so many times you can run the sweep with Debo or like the double reverse. Yeah. And, and like, you're not going to like be on the sideline drawing up the single wing. Like, you know, you, that's why they put Prey back in. At least you can run all of your run plays there because you yeah. practice handing the ball to people, you know. Yeah. Jim Stickshelty says, regarding the Devontae Smith catch without a replay, how could someone place a value on timeouts to help guide when it is okay to challenge instead of hoarding timeouts and challenges? That is a really hard question, honestly. I am not sure how you would research the value of a challenge because you don't know what are the odds you're going to need to challenge something else later in the game. As it so happens, uh, the 49ers did not need to challenge something else later in the game. So they could have used their challenge on that. But I think the reason they didn't challenge was they thought he'd caught the ball. I don't think they were weighing the value of a timeout and a challenge. I think they literally thought he caught the ball and they didn't want to blow a challenge. I think the initial thing they were looking at was, was he in bounds? And once it's, oh, yeah, he was in bounds, that kind of, moved okay, let's let's go on to the next play. They, they, they didn't check the other part of it because – you know, yeah, you could do it every single play, every single time. They just didn't get around to that in time. And the Eagles, to their credit, got up to the line very quickly and ran another play. Yeah. In terms of the in terms of the actual question, any sort of evaluation would have to be done in hindsight, right? Because like you obviously No, I think the idea here is could we do analysis, like some kind of a win probability analysis that said, you know, the value of a challenge. See, I mean I think you can do analysis on the value of a timeout, but the value of a challenge, like how often is it that you need two challenges in the last five minutes? The part of the problem is that if you go to old play by play, there is nowhere in the play by play where it says 
this play should have been challenged, but the team had run out of challenges, so they couldn't do it. Right. <laughs> so we have no we have no record of when a team runs out of challenges because we have no record in history of when a team should have challenged and couldn't. Yeah, the play, the play, the, the score, official scorekeeper doesn't go. This play was wrong, but this is what, <laughs> this is what happened. You know. <laughs> but unfortunately, the Cardinals were out of challenges, and therefore right. the touchdown stands. Right? Like, I mean, unfortunately, we don't have that. Thing. There's some pretty good uh, '90s scorekeepers who had who had who editorialized during. Uh, there the, are some the, '90s scorekeepers who editorialized before things were standardized in computer. There's some of the games were terrible, terrible how much they left out. And some of them, guys just put in a ton of editorializing. Like there are, there's some ridiculous editorializing in those '80s games. Really, that is fascinating to me. I have oh, no yeah, idea. I'll about find that. one. Like Detroit, I think was one where he like would just add comments about <laughs> like what happened on certain plays. It's like the scoots around left at, left at, left end misses two tackles before finally taking down. Like like a, a small like essay on what's going on. Yeah, like there it really was. Like and then other other in other games uh, the numbers would not add up to 10. <laughs> it would be it'd be fascinating to have like an annotated play-by-play but that's like a whole other like that's a whole can of worms but I do kind of like that on premise if it didn't cause such a mess for us in terms of like going back and doing our DVOA stuff uh historically it'd be a cool concept at least get a little bit of flavor in the play-by-play yeah it's 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 fun to have for those old games where you don't have the video like um, great, great, great chess games getting annotated by grandmasters after the after the facts and like that. You need some like you know get 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 Mahomes there to go back and like you know write. This is what we were thinking on this play. You know, publish that. Very tall music. Right. Um, Flynn Haggerty says there's a great baseball one on retro sheet. If you look at the Bucky Dent Homer in 1978, there must be uh, an added note. I'll have to pull that one. Everybody in Boston has a heart attack. Yeah. Um, how? Oh, they called it the swing that broke New England's heart. Did they literally, does it literally say in the play-by-play the swing that broke New England's heart? Was that added later by RetroSheet, or is that actually from 1978? We'll have to ask. I hope the, it's the latter. Yeah, I hope it's the latter. It's actually from 1978. That would be amazing. Um, Dr. Dazzle says, how do you calibrate opponent adjustments in a case like this? where the quarterback is basically non-existent? The answer is, I threw it out. That's the honest answer. The honest answer is when I did the playoff picks and the playoff odds, I threw out the defense for Philadelphia for the NFC Championship game. I just feel like they had minus 97% DVOA in the second half of that game. Like I feel like it doesn't teach you anything about how good the Philadelphia defense actually is. And the Philadelphia defense is very good, and they rate as very good without needing the NFC Championship game to rate as being really good. But, I mean, I you know, it, it would be really hard for me to do opponent adjustments based on quarterback, not based on team, because some quarterbacks – you have 10 pass attempts. So the sample size that you're trying to figure out opponent adjustments for is like non-existent. And then, you know, saying like basically Purdy, you, you wouldn't even be using the adjustment for Purdy because if Purdy wasn't really Purdy. So the answer is I threw it out. Yeah. 
I mean, yeah, I, I guess we know that if the Chiefs, if both Beth Mahomes and, you know, uh, uh, get hurt in the Super Bowl, we'll have some evidence on what happens in that situation. But yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Hitchhiker's Pie is correct. At this point in the season, we are not lacking on sample size for the overall Philadelphia defense. So it's not throwing out that one game does not mean we're not really measuring the Philadelphia. I think we're still pretty good at measuring. But the Philadelphia defense, their DVOA was like minus 7% in the first half which is actually not as good as their season numbers. And then like minus 97 or something in the second half. Because once Johnson was out, that was it. They just keyed on the run. They knew everything was a run. And that was that was. It turns out a 1904 offense is not going to beat like one of the top teams in the NFL in year 2023. Amazing. (laughs) So in the DVOA, like when you look at the DVOA on the site, the game is still included. But when I used to, to do the picks, like the, I, I didn't include it. And so that's part of how we end up with, with Kansas city as our, our narrow, narrow um, favorite. Before I get to that, what do you guys think of the idea that the Eagles had an easy path to the Super Bowl? Cause I tweeted that out yesterday. Um, they did. They, did have the easiest, they had the easiest schedule in the league. Although I'll point out the 49ers had the second easiest schedule in the league. Uh, then they played the Giants, who are not a really good team. And then they played a team that ran out of quarterback. Yep. That, is an easy, that is an easy path to the Super Bowl. Now, it doesn't mean they don't deserve it. See, that I think people think that if you say it's an easy path, you're saying they don't deserve it. Of course they deserve it. They took that easy path and they slaughtered it. Yeah. <laughs> the easiest path we've ever had, like the, the worst street thing to take the schedule we've ever had, was the 1999 Rams. We're not, no one is saying the 1999 Rams didn't deserve to win the Super Bowl. Like, right. You, you play who's in front of you. And then but if they're it's really an bad, easier path than the Chiefs having to play an above <laughs> average strength schedule and then having to beat Joe Burr. Yeah. We, 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 we adjust for this. Is that When we say we have the Eagles high DBA, we say they're really good, even though they play a weak schedule. Like, it's right, that's yeah. yeah. So I, I think it does. Mike said in, in walkthrough today, not he does he doesn't want to hear about the how that they, they had an easy path. They did. They had an easy path. It doesn't mean they don't deserve it. It doesn't mean they're not the best team in the NFC. They did have an easier than usual path. Although, if you go back in history and look, there are a lot of teams with the easiest schedule in the league that make the Super Bowl. Like, there's a reason it's good to have an easy schedule. And also, I think they did, like, I I know the situation's differently, but, like, they did kind of get a challenge in the San Francisco defense. Like that is an earned twenty three point seven percent offensive DVOA by the Eagles. Yes, I agree. Yes, it's not like the San Francisco defense was not playing hard yeah. until the end, until the like they just got tired out by the fourth quarter. Yeah, and yeah. And, and you had a lot, of, a lot of penalties came from we have to we we the defense have to score fourteen points now, so we're gonna have to like try to get this punt block, or we're gonna have to try to make an interception, right. and you know. Doctor yeah, Dazzle says. Please talk to the folks at Good Morning Football about the Eagles' path to the Super Bowl. Their perspective this morning was they had a weak schedule, but they did well. Well, that's the proper perspective, actually. <laughs> they had a weak schedule, but they clobbered it. Like they did. Great they had teams take care of bad teams. Yeah. Destroyed weak schedule. I mean, they 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 beat those teams by a lot, like Minnesota. I mean, they clobbered. Like they were the number one team in the way until uh, Jalen Hurts got got hurt. Like, yeah, absolutely, they, they 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 were really really good. They played some bad teams and they destroyed them. Congratulations, did the Super Bowl. Yeah, I I think the biggest benefit of the easy schedule, especially in the playoffs, like getting the Giants and having this 
lock with San Francisco is the fact that they've been able like Gardner Minshew's made an appearance in both these games. They've been able to cruise relatively easily. This is a team that, you know, in week 17, when Minshew loses to the Saints, I had said that like this team desperately needs the bye week if they hope to keep the Super Bowl and they get it and they get two easy, relatively easy playoff games. And now they're coasting into the Super Bowl much more healthy than a Chiefs team that has been put through the ringer now. Like we, we've mentioned six guys that have gotten hurt, two additional are banged up, Mahomes and Kelsey. This Eagles team is looking really, really hurt between Devontae Maddox, Lane Johnson. Uh, you got CJ Gardner-Johnson coming back from injury. Jalen Hurts with a dislocated shoulder. Now you've been able to kind of cruise through these two games. I think it sets them up. I know everyone gets the bye, like both teams get the bye, but it sets them up relatively well for the Super Bowl. Yes. Uh, that might be the one thing you could argue about them benefiting from the easy schedule is they're able to get the bye despite having to start Minshew for those last couple games in, in, in yes. the regular season. And, that, and, and the, the schedule is the main reason. Right. Uh, and, and, but but the Eagles were good enough against both the Giants and the 49ers. Oh, so I don't yeah. think well they would they would have lost to you know no. like like the Seahawks in the first round. No, I, I don't I don't think so. The bye no. the bye was the bye was useful and and they got it in large part because of the schedule, but that doesn't mean they it was useful to, have to be here and the nonsense like that. So the um it's interesting because some places opened with the Chiefs as favorites and then that very quickly flipped to the Eagles and now everyone basically has it as Eagles minus two. Um, our playoff odds simulation had the Chiefs winning 53% of the time. The picks against the spread, which uses a different formula that weighs offense more and uh, accounts for the spread itself, has Chiefs minus 0.2, which by the picks formula, that is the closest Super Bowl we've ever measured. By the, awesome. by the by the uh, playoff odds formula, it's not because we actually had Patriots fifty point two percent before <laughs> Super Bowl forty nine. But um, this is a really close Super Bowl. Like, I don't know. What are your early thoughts about this? It's really really close. My early thoughts is that I am taking the Eagles. I uh, when they are at full strength and they're getting there again. Their running attack, the, the, what they're able to do on the ground is, is it's it's uh, mesmerizing to watch. What the the the, the, the attack they they have on the ground, I really like their odds of controlling this game from from the go, uh, from the offensive line winning the battle on the defensive line over and over again, and just kind of grinding this game down. That's my initial gut feeling. Uh, then then I go, oh wait, the other team's got Patrick Mahomes, and I start panicking again about that pick. Yeah, I will also note, by the way, the Chiefs, both the Chiefs and the Eagles are bad against quarterback runs. But that's a bigger problem when you're playing Jalen Hurts. Yeah, I think this specifically, and this is just cursory glance stuff going into this. I think the Eagles met, like the Eagles offense matches up really well against this Chiefs defense. I think they've kind of seen the Giants is a different story, but I think this game against San Francisco is still a genuine test. But like, 15th in the league in rushing uh, defensive rushing DVOA for Kansas City. Aaron, you had pointed out that statistic about uh, the Chiefs' defense with short over-the-middle passes and how yes. dominant the Eagles They're are. very there. bad against short over-the-middle passes, which the Philadelphia was very good at this year. Dallas Goddard could be a big play a big role in this game. And in addition, you're not going to have that same, like, blanketing coverage that, you know, Javarius Ward had against A.J. Brown or, like, 
the 49ers are able to put up against the Eagles in general. Like you're going to have a little bit of an easier time passing. I think situationally this matchup really favors Eagles offense over Kansas City defense. And for me, it really just comes down to the other part of just how healthy is the rest of this Chiefs offense. Like, are they going to be able to have the weapons to get yeah. by? Like, that's where the we like that's where the game really gets decided for me. I really feel a lot about hearing about the injuries, uh, not just the receivers, but Sneed. Yes. And the, the good thing, the good thing, there's nothing good about a concussion, but I would think two weeks after a concussion that Legarius Sneed will be good to go in the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. Uh, odds are. That, that is, he, that can, is he can rest it for a whole week week and not even base, they barely miss practice, right? I mean, like, yeah. he can rest and, and be good. Um, I think, you know, it's tough because I I, I feel you on the Eagles and then everything else says to me, you know, the Chiefs are the better offense and offense is more predictive than defense. Mm -hmm. And so I feel a little bit like the Chiefs, it it is really, it is really close. Um, I don't know. I mean, in some ways, the Chiefs offense matches up well against the Eagles defense, too, because their offensive line is so good and because Mahomes is so good under pressure. Mahomes was the number two quarterback under pressure this year by DVOA. So, like, yes, the Eagles are going to bring so much pass rush, but uh, compared to the Bengals, the Chiefs are much more prepared for. I mean, the downside is that the, the, the strength of the Chiefs pass uh, blocking is in the middle and the strengths of the Eagles pass rush is sides i mean hassan reddick against um hassan reddick against uh uh andrew wiley and and uh, brandon graham uh and josh sweat against orlando brown is uh not as good as the the defensive tackles against creed humphrey and and uh you know thuny and all that i mean if we're talking trenches what's really impressive about like first off addressing kensey devers uh Philadelphia's oh, uh, Chris Jones is going to have a much harder time with you know Jason Kelsey in the interior of this Eagles offensive line than he did against the backup Bengals line. What was really impressive about this Philadelphia D is the fact that they can like they can either line up five down against you and send the house. They can get really consistent pressure with four guys and still drop seven. And even with that, you know, just rush four, drop seven. You got the number one pass D, uh, defensive pass DVOA in the league. Like it's going to be a tough, tough outing for Mahomes, even without the pressure. But, like, Mahomes does really well against the Bliss. It's been a consistent thing for him. Eagles are one of this the – This year teams. he didn't. Interesting. This year he actually had lower numbers against the Blitz than against the non-Blitz. But it's it not by that hand. much. It's not by that much, and it's this year compared to the three years before. Like, I still would not blitz yeah. But it is yeah. interesting. This year he actually had better numbers not, not Blitz. But, yeah, that's bit – so – that's been the typical formula in years past, not as quite this year, but the Eagles are one of those few defenses that are really equipped to rush four, drop seven and generate both a consistent pass rush with four and still get some great coverage on the backside. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I think uh, Kelsey, Kelsey may be a problem for them. They're not, I, I, I forgot to check their numbers against tight ends, but they're not like, it doesn't, they don't like have a safety or linebacker who stands out to me as this is a pass coverage guy. I mean, CJ Gardner Johnson, I guess, but um, Kelsey could definitely be a problem, but Slay and, and Bradbury are going to be really strong against whichever wide receivers are healthy for Kansas. 
Philadelphia uh, there's six, sixth against tight ends. Yes, they're sixth against tight ends. Really? Yes. Yeah. They're God. They're good against everything, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, they, 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 that's the thing. Have any glaring weaknesses? That it, it should be a good Super Bowl. That's why yeah. it's so close. That's why I'm on Lux it so much. Yeah. Um. Before we go, I want to see if you guys have any thoughts on this week's coaching changes because hope springs eternal for the other 30 teams that didn't make the Super Bowl. So we got Frank Wright going to Carolina, Vic Fangio allegedly to Miami, although there now seems to be some question about that, Mike LaFleur to the Rams, Nathaniel Hackett to the Jets, and Kellen Moore from Cowboys to the Chargers. In less than 24 hours. In less than 24 hours. So. That was All- all time uh, 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 trying to try to squash the news by by releasing him during the AFC Championship game. I think that's that's yeah, a good job, Cowboys. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Talk about a news dump. That was great. Um, uh, I do. I, I would say the first thing I would say is um, I, I can't remember who I read say this this morning, but like as much as I get upset about the lack of African American head coaches in the NFL, and Steve Wiley's gotten a little bit of a raw deal, Frank Reich is really well qualified yeah absolutely so it's really hard to be upset at carolina for drafting frank reich with the with, with the idea that they're going to draft a quarterback in the first round and now they have this offensive mind to go with it it, it just makes a lot of sense yeah i don't think frank reich good hire steve wilkes got screwed are mutually exclusive statements yeah. i think both can be true uh if the vic if the vic fangio hire is true uh, i think that's an awesome get for miami considering the talent that's currently on that defensive roster and just how badly they underperformed this year, given that roster talent. Uh, I think it's, I think it's a kid in a candy store for Fangio. Like that's going to be a really special D uh, if that is true. Uh, the Nathaniel Hackett to the Jets thing feels like the Tobias Funke, like, Oh no, it doesn't work for anyone, but it might work for us kind of thing. And boring Aaron <laughs> Rodgers. And the one thing I'm really happy about, uh, not happy about, but excited to see, is the uh, Kellen Moore hire by the Chargers. Uh, Mina Kimes tweeted out earlier, uh, since Moore became the OC for the Cowboys, they've had the seventh highest average depth of target in the NFL at 8.3 adjusted yards per attempt, which is a big difference from Joe Lombardi spamming stick uh, for 17 games. Uh, That's going to be really fun to watch with Herbert. Depends who they'll have at receiver, but it'll be, you know, a new system there that emphasis, uh, emphasizes downfield play. If it works, in theory, on paper, obviously, right now, but seems very awesome. The fact that it get, got picked up in less than 24 hours, I think. Well, my guess is that this was kind of in the works, and that's why yeah. it was a mutual parting of ways. Right. He may, have, he may have gone to Dallas and said, look, you guys don't really want me to be here anymore and I've got another opportunity and let's just call it quits. It's it's always a good side when the fan base almost unanimously panics over a move like this. Like, I've not seen any any Cowboys fans like, oh, good, Mike McCarthy's going to call plays. Excellent. The idea that Mike McCarthy is going to call plays, given how stagnant his play designs were in Green Bay in the last couple of years, oh, it does not sound like a wise decision. And they're talking about bringing in Brian Schottenheimer maybe as the coordinator. There's a couple of names. Oh, yeah, that's the saving grace. Yeah. Shotty. Oh, no. Yeah, that doesn't sound exciting. I, Mike LaFleur to the Rams is interesting, I think, because, um, you know, he comes out of that Shanahan system, and I'm not quite sure why they got rid of him with the Jets. And um, I don't either. Yeah. I think that's I think an interesting marriage. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I think, uh, especially you know, as a coordinator for the Rams, she's not calling plays, so you can actually focus a little bit more on more development and like more general uh, offensive kind of you know strategy rather than in-game game calling, which, which I mean, he didn't do in San Francisco either, because obviously Shanahan's calling all the plays there. I think, I think it's a good fit. I think it'll be a good. I think McVeigh's getting someone that he can really bounce off of because McVeigh just lost so many assistants to the let's yeah, hire. Yeah, he needs guys he can bounce ideas off of. That's having right. having someone like that, and it's going to going to be a big boost for him. I think that's I think it's a good hiring. I don't get hacking. I, I went back and looked, and the best offensive DVRA hack has ever had without Aaron Rodgers is fifteenth in the league. Uh, then the one uh, Saxonville year in Jacksonville, he's never had another offense outside outside of the, out of the bottom twenty. Like, so this has been a long, it's a weird hire, especially coming off of just how poorly his t- time in Denver goes. I know being a head coach, being quite under two different things, but oof, I don't, I don't, it feels like a straight downgrade. It feels like a straight downgrade and I don't understand. I think yeah. it's New York making a move to make a move to make it seem like they're busy and trying to improve. Because if you look at the actual thing, like Michael Flores, Michael Flores first year would run like five gadget plays a game because it was a maybe one of the worst offenses in the league uh, with, an, you know, up and down Zach Wilson, whatever. He's trying to get creative, but it's good creative. He integrates that a little bit into this year, but he was also able to produce not one, but two offensive rookie of the year candidates with Brees Hall leading the field before he tears his ACL. Gets on out of Garrett Wilson. He's so good at getting guys into space. He runs a really creative uh, run game in the offense that I've really enjoyed watching. And, He's had pretty across-the-board success with running backs despite the fact that they were revolving door on the offensive line last year. I think it's a great pickup for uh, L.A. Again, like you said, working with Sean McVay, not having to take on as much responsibility and just you know able to use that sort of offensive creative mind to just put this team up another level. I don't really understand the firing, and I definitely don't really understand Nathaniel Hackett hire at all unless your exclusive thing is to do the exact same thing that uh, Denver did last year. And even then you saw how that turned out and you like, this is the first time in over a decade, the Jets have had an ounce of goodwill with their fan base and they are just so ready to set that on fire. But like, yeah, let's just go get a quarterback. I I did the, uh, their chapter last year. I made like the Sisyphus reference where they're just like, we draft a quarterback and we're back down to the hill. Like we draft a quarterback. They just keep resetting a quarterback and they think the veteran quarterback and Aaron Rodgers is going to solve that. I really, I don't think you mortgage the long-term trajectory of this team and just how good it looks right now to just try, like I get capitalizing, but doing it with Rodgers and Hackett is the worst possible way to capitalize in my mind. We'll see how it works in the off season, whether they're even able to prime away, but like, whether it's the price you got, whether it's like the offense hack it's set to run, I think it's I think it's a bad idea across the board. It seemed like such an easy offseason for them too. Look, you sign Garoppolo, you get you use a second round pick on a quarterback, you start you 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 take all those weapons, get them healthy, and you take the next step forward. It seemed like such an easy, obvious plan, yeah. and they have chosen an intentionally difficult route. It might be better, we don't know, but like you, you what are you doing? What's just what? What's the plan here? What, <laughs> It's it was so easy to dress like we saw just how successful backup and second chance quarterbacks were across the board, whether it was Geno Smith, Brock Purdy, uh, uh Bailey Zappi, uh, like Jared Stidham in that one game, Baker Mayfield for stretches. Like, you have these backup quarterbacks that are succeeding, 
when offenses are easier than ever. I know it was a down year for offense across the board, but like there are so many viable stopgap quarterbacks in the league now. It is so easy to take an Anthony Richardson or a Hendon Hooker, a guy you know is going to be a project and can sit for a year, who has some NFL viability. But you then have to understand it's like Sal is probably hot seat. Joe Douglas, despite building a really awesome team, missed on Zach Wilson, so even he could be on hot seat. Like you get into this thing and you realize how immediate the rest of the NFL is. And now you realize why this team is just mortgaging a long-term future because you don't know if these guys are going to be there that long. Yeah, you have to think a lot of decisions in the NFL get made because guys are on the hot seat. It's easier when this is all theoretical and we're treating this like it's Madden. But at the end of the day, it's a business and guys are doing this for jobs. So when you rationalize it like that, it makes a little bit more sense. But even then, like I feel like at this point, I'd rather have Derek Carr and any other offensive coordinator than Nathaniel Hackett, this current iteration of Aaron Rodgers. We shall see. All right. That does it for today's show. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Kale, for joining me. So uh, our schedule changes a bit. Kale and Jackson will be here on Wednesday with the new show at 1 p.m. Eastern. Then Mike will be back with me, and we're going to be doing Friday because he's busy at the Senior Bowl on Thursday. So we'll be on Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern with Senior Bowl review and some more Super Bowl talk. Thank you, everybody, for watching. Thank you for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Tell your friends about the show. We'll be doing shows all throughout the offseason as well. And uh, we'll see you on Football Outsiders. We'll see you in the Discord. And uh, we'll see you Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So long, everybody.